1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All
2: right, welcome back in. This is episode 45 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, We are going to cover and and recap four games tonight for the Hornets. It was a a really tough four-game stretch for Charlotte, Minnesota, Washington, uh, San Antonio just this last night, and then a brutal loss to Cleveland. Uh, I guess which was uh, Friday night of Thanksgiving week. Now, so two and two in those four games, not bad. Uh, certainly could have been worse. That's kind of what we talked about in the last episode as being a best case scenario. So we got there. Well, I, I guess let's just jump right in here. Well, first let me let me talk about where we come from and who we want to thank here. We are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. Um, so check out AlmightyBaller.com for many other. Uh, shows, fantasy-wise, you know, separate team-wise, whatever you want, we got it at almightyballer.com, and then sportschannel8.com, our good friend. Brian Geisinger is from Sports Channel 8. That's where we got him from. So you should always check them out. ACC Basketball, which is just kicking up now. They got you covered. ACC Football, which is just kind of making their exit. They've had you covered all year. It's the funniest Twitter account in North Carolina, in my uh, humble opinion. So make sure you check out SportsChannel8.com, and that's at Sports channel 8 on Twitter. All right, guys. Well, look, first, before we jump in here, which – I was I was rushing at the beginning. I, I guess I should say, how was Thanksgiving, Richie? How was your Thanksgiving? Did you enjoy it? Did you get some good family time in? Did you Did you find time to watch the Hornets, which I had a really hard time doing this week?
1: Yeah, yeah. We I had to record a couple of games and and I couldn't watch them all live. But yeah, my Thanksgiving was good. Uh, I had two meals. Uh, like I have for the past couple of years. I usually go over to my wife's side of the family first, and we have a, a bigger meal, and then I head over to my side of the family, and we typically have dessert. By the time we get there, it's it's after they've already ate and everything like that. But, yeah, uh, a lot of time with the family, and at some point, I'm just like, okay, the family's got to go. I need some alone time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I love I love Thanksgiving, love the food, love spending time with family, but at some point, it gets a little bit too much.
2: BG! Yeah. Um, How's it going? Did you go to Winston? Like, where were you during Thanksgiving? Yeah, went back to Winston for a few days, which was
3: was a good time. Just mostly just – I didn't leave the house that often. Mostly just hung out with family and uh, and the dog. Then came back to Raleigh uh, on Friday. Had a friend's wedding this weekend too. So didn't – actually caught only two of the Hornets games live and had to catch – had to DVR and tape a bunch of stuff. So Thanksgiving was great. Uh I feel like I put on 5 to 7 pounds it seems and uh yeah no I'm ready to get back to a slightly normalized schedule here uh the next week and a half although as I said to you guys before and the Sunday scaries we're recording this on a Sunday night and the Sunday scaries are setting in deeply to me as I think about my return to work tomorrow so yeah
2: yeah, it, it's a tough time of year. You know, it's a tough time of year for a lot of things. Like these Sundays in, in, in the holidays, especially right after Thanksgiving, when you can see Christmas in the, like in the near future, but you can't reach out and touch it quite yet. And you got to go back to work and then from like a you know, a fan watching, you know, being a Buzzbeat Radio co-host perspective, you know, you you have to try to fit in this like Hornets watching and like make sure you're on top of your stuff. While you're also like spending time with family and enjoying the holidays, it, it's a weird time of year. So we're gonna try to give you the best we can give you tonight. But I'll be honest, before we get in there, um, my, my watching was a little spotty. Like I literally watch maybe two quarters live, so a lot of my stuff is uh, is kind of recorded and going back and seeing it. Um, so I, I think we, really the way we should structure this this show tonight is we're gonna cover all the games, but also just kind of want to talk about some of the longer storylines. Uh, which I think is probably the important point. We had four big games for the Hornets. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with every single game, and, and more you know concerned on the storylines from these games. But to that note, we'll, we'll kind of jump in. Hornets get back to back wins from the last time we left you. The first one was against Minnesota, 118-102. Dwight Howard was you know he was he was dominant in this game. I mean, you really can't say it any other way. He had twenty five points, twenty rebounds. I think arguably. Probably not even arguably, probably definitely his best game of the season, just dominated the paint. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, who was on him most of the night, had no answer, especially when Dwight got deep post position. And then they would go with Taj Gibson at times against him. You know, the, the Wolves start top, Taj Gibson at center. But man, oh man, Dwight with a, just an awesome game and really what started a stretch of some pretty good basketball from Dwight, which I think we'll talk about tonight. Let's throw it to you first, Richie. I mean, Dwight Howard, these last four games, really showing some life. Not much last night against the Spurs, but here against Minnesota, definitely his best game of the season. In my opinion. Yeah.
1: I mean, no one had life against the Spurs. But yes, Dwight Howard has been playing well recently. And uh, it seems like we're a little bit harder on him than most people are. But we do have to give him credit. You know, this was his 49th career 2020 game uh, here against Minnesota. And I think the biggest thing and and when we uh, traded for him, we talked about, you know, the added aspect of getting second chance points. And Dwight, of his rebounds, he had six of them on the offensive end, which led to 15 second chance points, uh, which is amazing. You know, that's that's something that we need him out there for, because he's not necessarily going to give you everything that you need in terms of, uh, you know, the pick and roll offense like Cody does. You know, he he offers the uh, the offensive rebounds, which he did a great job of against uh, Minnesota. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he's been a big reason as to why uh, we've had some success lately. And I guess another thing I'll say about Dwight, you know, I know Brian, you talk about how we just, you know, light possessions on fire with him with his post ups. But one thing that I will say, and it happened this game a couple of times, one post possession that I do like with him is if he gets deep position which he has uh against some of these teams like minnesota and he just goes straight up no dribble just goes straight up you know it might not look pretty at times but i think he needs to take advantage of the fact that he's deep in post position when he starts dribbling that's a different thing i've noticed a couple yeah. times recently uh when he gets deep post position he just goes straight up and, he, and he's typically successful so yeah i think this was a big game for dwight offensive rebounds wise and also just getting deep post position
3: yeah th- that's it's a good point richie uh the thing with dwight the reason why these post ups have been bad hasn't been oh that he shot a rough number he shot i mean it hasn't been you know he's not joel embiid down there but he shot a good clip out of the post it's the turnovers i mean and the the inability to make free throws but really he turns the ball over on a third of these possessions so on the attempts where he goes quickly after getting good good quick position it's a totally different story and and i'm i'm fine with that sort of quick offense because even if teams decide to foul Dwight, well, then you get the Hornets into the bonus early, and you know that allows guys like Kemba and Batum that are good free throw shooters get to the line, uh, hopefully closing out quarters and stuff like that. So, no, those sorts of position, those sorts of possessions, I, I, I don't mind them at all. And in fact, I think there there's something that Charlotte should look for, you know, a little bit more for an offense that in transition has been stagnant at uh, at times this year. So, no, I, in, in against Minnesota. Great off, like you said, Dwight had six offensive rebounds, but as a team, the Hornets grabbed about 30% of their own misses in this game, and 44% of Charlotte's field goal attempts came at the rim, which is an outstanding number, too. Um, they really shot well from the middle of the floor, uh, 40, 50, 54% on long mid-range shots beyond 14 feet, and they were 9 of 17 on above-the-break threes, uh, 9, of 17, uh, yeah, 9 of 17, 53%. I thought like Kemba, who didn't have a great shooting night, had some good stuff out of the pick and roll. And, uh, I mean, you, know, you can kind of play games with Towns and, and Teague. The, the, they're not the sharpest of defenders, especially Towns. I mean, I think Towns, at nights, I think he tries a lot, but he's still – I think Bob Volgaris described, described him as a, a cat chasing a laser pointer out there. He's <laughs> just kind of pretty, pretty easy to manipulate. Uh, cat going around the uh, going around the court out there. And uh, this was actually a a faster game, too. 103 possessions, and 22% of Charlotte's possessions were in transition, which, again, that's something you don't see them do a ton, even if they maybe are running a little bit more this year. It was nice to see Nick Batum finally hit some threes. He hit three of five from deep in this game. And, no, overall, it was a solid performance. And after we played them the last time, I believe that was a Sunday night game early in November, the effort wasn't very good in that game. And Teague also hit a couple threes where Charlotte went under the pick-and-roll and he rose up and splashed him. And in this game, he shot pretty well from two, but was just one of four on threes. And I just think, again, that's just such a huge barometer for their team that when Teague is hitting those pull-up threes, they're, they're electric on offense. I mean, they're going to have their issues on defense no matter what. But they're so tough to stop that if he's hitting that, then they're almost impossible. It was also nice to have MKG back for this game. He started out on Jimmy Butler really didn't have that great of a performance and is ultimately just kind of having a a weird debut season up in, up in Minnesota too.
2: Yeah. a Game that I think we would be remiss without not mentioning. Um, if we don't mention it, we're going to hear about it. So let's go ahead and get it out of the way. Frank Kaminsky, nine to 15, uh, had 24 points, hits four, three pointers in this game. Like he really like, let's be honest. The Hornets offense was not without Frank out there quite frankly, wasn't great in this game, but Frank really connected a lot of things, hit open shots, was active off the bounce. Just one of those Frank games that comes like every once, every two and a half, three weeks, Uh, we get one of those. And tonight was one of the, or that night uh, was one of those. I mean, he really, uh, outside of Dwight's strong performance, saved the Hornets in this one, because uh, as BG said, you know, not a good night from Kimba, you know, Batum had his moments you know, having MKG back was nice, but uh, but uh, you know Kaminsky was really really good offensively with 24 points and, and helped the Hornets in this one. you, you know I, I think you're right, BG. I think just you know from a from a defensive perspective, you know Jeff Teague being the connector for the Wolves' offense that we talked about. I mean, he has a lot of pressure on him moving that ball from side to side with four guys that that need it, and and our scores. Um, most of the time, well, three guys, you know, Taj Gibson, not so much, but the one note really I had from this game was that Dwight Howard was able to just patrol the rim at all times. I mean, matched up against Taj Gibson, he could just completely ignore him, um, when the wolves had the ball and he was able to just really to patrol the paint, uh, make a difference. I mean, he was a monster defensively and that energized him obviously defensively, or excuse me offensively and and quite frankly he had the great matchup going against uh you know carl anthony towns and got deep post position a lot of times had a lot of easy uh looks at the rim but this was just the tailor-made matchup for dwight howard i thought having to guard taj gibson or or really I, i should say not guard taj gibson and just really pay attention to the ball for this game so i thought this was a this is a perfect matchup for Dwight Howard to get his confidence going in the Hornets. Uh, in a game that, you know, 118 points, a little bit uh, misleading. I didn't think they were that good offensively, but a few good performances. You know, Frank Kaminsky spearheading it there, and they get a big win.
3: I think the the, the point about Dwight is great. Four blocks and had a block rate of over 6% in the game. That's of how the percentage of field goals. Uh, opposing field goal attempts blocked while he was on the court, which is a high number for Dwight. And uh, and like I, I agree, I, I, Rich. You may feel the I, I think you may feel the same way about this too. Not a not a great offensive performance. Good and but they're also taking on a, a pretty bad defensive team too. So I I guess it's like you should be able to put up good numbers um, against Minnesota right now. Even I know they're a Thibodeau team and stuff, but they're they're struggling on that end.
1: Yeah, they struggle, uh, you know, allowing points in the paint. I think we did a good job of that. I think that's one of their downfalls on the defensive end, which is funny because I think on the offensive end, they do a good job of getting into the paint. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where they're good on it at offense, but on defense, uh, they struggle keeping people out of the paint. Uh, and we saw that from Dwight. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's nothing really more to add to this game. Uh, the bench was lively on both ends of the of the court. And that fourth quarter where we outscored the uh, the Timberwolves, it was spearheaded, like you said, Spencer, by Kaminsky. He had nine points in the fourth quarter alone so uh that's that's the quarter that put us over the top obviously
2: Wednesday against Washington I thought the Hornets uh, you know again it was it was a very similar performance really in terms of just (laughs) the offense looked similar you know Dwight's getting deep position Dwight you know last few games guys he just eh, again uh, outside of last night I try to like block last night against Antonio out of my mind while I'm talking about these like stretch of games but um which is difficult because Wednesday against Washington again, he just, even if he catches it, like, you know, not in the painted area and has to take one or two dribbles, like very aggressively getting over his right shoulder. When he gets that little left hook deep into, you know, deep into the paint, even if he has to take a dribble, he can get it done, especially if he gets it, gets it going early. And he did in this one, he scores 26 points. He grabs 13 rebounds. He's 10 of 13 from the field. He's six of ten from the free throw line. It was just another like vintage Dwight Howard, like what we pictured when we traded for him and thought, man, this can really turn our team around. This is kind of what we envisioned. You know, again, the negative is the Hornets throw it to him a lot. They sacrifice those possessions where Kimba would usually be the guy initiating everything for giving Dwight the ball and letting him go to work. But that night, it worked well. And it's again, I don't know, Brian. I, to me, it comes back to. Because we, we really gave it to Dwight in our last episode, and I think rightfully so, and I think rightfully so to Clifford as well. But, you know, you look at these few games where the Hornets really got it going at home, and Dwight was really good, and we're throwing it to him a lot, and he's efficient. It's like, what is that balance, right? Like, how do we find that middle ground where we, you know, where we watch that diet carefully but also give him the touches he deserves – and it's tough because in this game he was really good too. I would like to hear your opinion, maybe what you thought on Wednesday night as you saw in the last two games that we've talked about. Dwight's like twenty of twenty-five or something.
3: Yeah, he I mean he was so good back to back against Minnesota and, and and Washington. I mean throwback vintage as you know vintage Dwight performances. I thought on both ends of the court he was pretty good. Even though I thought Washington did a pretty good job pulling him him away from the hoop uh, and using Gortat as a screener in this game. But they do that against everybody. That's that's not even, like, a, a Dwight thing or whatever. But, I man, I don't know what the balance is. I, I just don't. Like, I, I don't think they've, at this point, you're 20, almost 20 games into the season. I, I don't think they have a... a like, they clearly want to get it in, you know, a few times every half, if not, uh, you know, a handful of times every half. Just throw it to Dwight and let him work. And, and I think he's been okay as a passer. Like Richie said, it's just anytime he... He takes any time he takes a, a dribble or, or more than more than one dribble, it becomes a, a big problem. I, I'm just not sure because it's like not only am I not crazy about giving him a lot of post ups. That kind of depends on what what the variety of post ups they are too. So it's just, it's just a weird it's a weird thing to sort of toggle right now. And I think for a guy like Clifford, that's never been a especially the last two seasons has not been a big post up guy on offense. I mean, I'm not sure even he knows how much he wants to to, to force-feed it into Dwight. But uh, it's clearly something they're doing. They did it a lot in, in crunch time against Cleveland, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit too. Um, a little bit too much for my liking. But no, i I, I got to be honest with you. I, I know it's going to happen every game. And if I guess, again, we keep saying this, but if that's what you need to get the rest of good Dwight, you know, so be it, I, I guess. But they're not going to go away, but I'm not sure – I'm not sure if they need to be dialed back or, or or whatever as far as the offense goes. I would be of the notion that you take a few of them away, but I, I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon.
1: No, but – I think, it, I think it all depends on Dwight. And I think in this game, he ran the floor a good bit, too. And you want to reward the big men for running the floor. And so that yeah. can get him a little bit involved or feel him a little bit more involved in the game, like you said, so like he can compete on the opposite end. Because we know Dwight, his mental, his mental aspect, if he's not mentally in the game, he's just going to start picking up technicals. He's, he's going to be ruining the game on both ends of the court. But the balance is this. If, if Dwight is out there hustling, running the court, you reward him for that. If he's getting deep post position, you reward him for that. But if it's one of those things where he's, you know, catching the ball outside the paint and he's facing up, you, you got to stop giving him that ball because we've seen what he does from the mid range. It's been awful. Um, anytime yeah. he faces up and he, he just attempts to shoot the ball, we know that's not going in. He tries that bank shot, and uh, it's just always off. He, he's he's far from Tim Duncan in that in that aspect. But um, yeah, if he keeps getting deep post position. I don't mind him grabbing that ball and going up with it. If he misses, he might grab the offensive rebound and, and, and kind of go back up, and hopefully he scores. He had five offensive rebounds against the Wizards. So, I mean, yeah, the balance is one of those things. It's very touchy because you want to get involved because I think that we've stated this, he's going to try harder. It, you know, it shouldn't have to happen that way, but definitely reward him for doing the little things like getting deep position and, and running the court. So, And also, this game was one of the few games I feel like we stayed aggressive in the fourth quarter and we actually closed out a game uh, compared to uh, you know, a lot of other games this Dude. season. Uh, we forced Dude. overtime and, and we closed this game out. You know I, I was a little nervous heading into that fourth quarter, but uh, the final five minutes we outscored the Wizards 16-7, to which is a rare yeah, game. The,
3: the The Hornets have had all kinds of clutch issues this season. I'll just toss this out there real quickly. In what the NBA defines as clutch moments, so under five minutes to play, game within five points, uh, including overtime, seven minutes of clutch game action against between the Hornets and Wizards Wednesday night. Charlotte scores one hundred. Charlotte scores one point six points per possession in clutch situations. They have a net rating of over one hundred and seven, which is ridiculous because uh, they Washington just went ice cold. They shoot fifty seven percent from the field, sixty six percent true shooting rate. Five of six from the free throw line, zero turnovers, and um, six of those made field goals were at the rim, too. The other two were a a Kemba three and a Jeremy Lamb mid-range pull-up off the pick and roll. So they were excellent down the stretch, and that did include a Dwight Howard left-handed post-up that actually came on one of those sort of longer post-up possessions, too. But getting back to Dwight, it's like I want him involved – I just I, – my – the involvement I want is like what the the Rockets do with Capella. Like that's what I would like to see, you know? Like his involvement is running around, setting a million screens, dive-bombing to the hoop. Um, I mean that's not – clearly that, that's not what, what he wants, and he certainly fought against that while in Houston too. But, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to get that. But that was kind of my, my hope this year.
1: Yeah, he doesn't view himself as that type of
2: player. He He does not. It's It's probably not going to happen. I agree with you 100% Bg that that would be the most effective way for the hornets to use them and the most efficient uh, when you consider their offense. but you know a little bit more on this game. I think we should give you know a little bit of credit here to Michael Carter Williams, who was huge, especially in the fourth quarter. I mean it's two two threes. And then hits two threes against Cleveland on Friday. I mean, all of a sudden, he's a three-point shooter. Um, you know, hits five and six free throws. But, you know, and then the, the only other note I had here was the Hornets making 12 of 12 yep. uh, free throws in that fourth quarter to really help get this game to overtime. I mean, you can give the Hornets a lot of you-know-what about not making free throws, but they did it on Wednesday, and that got this game to overtime and allowed them to get this win, which was a really important one. Uh, as we'll realize more when we get to these next two, but um, but yeah, I, you know, staying on the on this Dwight thing uh, real quickly, I, I, Kimba has not had a good f- past four games, and Dwight, for the most part, has, and he's gotten a, and Dwight has gotten a lot more touches, and the offense has felt organically more inclined to go to him. And so I can't help but wonder if Kimba not playing well and Dwight getting more touches, you know, are directly correlated to each other. I I would tend to to say they they are. Um, And that's that's just the question with this team and this offense is if you're going to give Dwight those touches and, and I don't care if he's effective or not. That's not really the point. At the end of the day, Kimba is what makes this team go. And when push comes to shove, Kimba and his effectiveness and how he's coming off screens and how he's getting to the rim and how he's creating for his teammates are is exactly what is going to make this offense better. And if you're going to sacrifice three, four, five, six, whatever it is of those opportunities per game to throw it to Dwight, then you should expect bad results in, in, in the larger picture. Right? And, and yeah. so – you know these these few good games from Dwight are great and dandy, and you know all the Dwight lovers and and supporters and defenders of the trade will stand up and scream to the hills. But you know when it comes to the larger picture and the greater sample size, I think you're going to be disappointed uh, at the end of the year. And I think that's what we're trying to say on this show a lot. You know I want to give Dwight credit, and that's what we're trying to do right now. I think BG and Richie and I think we're doing a great job of, of giving him credit, but. Kemba is struggling right now. He is really, really struggling offensively, and I can't help but think. But you know, Dwight getting more touches and Kemba struggling is not directly correlated.
3: You got to, you got to remember too that like ninety-five plus percent of Dwight's minutes come with Kemba on the court too. So it's just like if, like these these post ups, if, if you're going to give these Dwight post ups, they're almost certainly going to happen when Kemba is out there as well. And as we've said before in this podcast, you got to kind of maximize those possessions and. Point blank period. You're not doing that if you're allowing Dwight to take six of those each game to score, you know, a total of, you know, a couple points, basically.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where you think that if, if Dwight is, is having a good game and he's drawing that attention in the paint, that it actually would benefit Kimba and get him a little bit more spacing on the outside. But I think it's one of those things when Dwight gets in that mode. It's one of the things where he's not gonna give the ball up. I mean, he's he's actually impressed me with some of the passes that he's had out of the post uh this season, yeah. but it's one of those things where you're feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. He just he loves that attention, and I think it does take away from Kemba's game a little bit, even though you would think that it would help him, you know, open up the the spacing a little bit on the outside. But I guess that's not really what's happening.
3: Should add too, well, he's he's now six of forty six from mid range attempts this season, too, by <laughs> the way. Six of forty six. From the mid-range, according to cleaningtheglass.com. dot
2: And to that point, you know, when when Dwight's out there and Kimba and Dwight are in a pick and roll, teams are more inclined to trap Kimba because yeah. they have no problem with Dwight catching it in the mid-range, rolling yep. freely. Like, there's no issue there. That's fine. Let him catch it there. He's a dead man walking. But with Cody, you know, it, it, or any other center for that freaking matter, like it's it's a different story, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the other point to consider, like. The Hornets can't run their offense effectively if Kimba is actually going to be the centerpiece in a Kimba Dwight one five pick and roll because they're going to trap Kimba and eight times out of 10. He's not going to be able to snake his way to the rim and he's going to have to either pitch it to Lamb opposite or he's going to have to throw it Dwight in the middle. And neither one of those are a good alternative to what the offense was last year with Cody because he can catch it in the middle and make a play. And that's the point. It's that simple. It's really that simple. So, anyways, we don't have to go too deep into that. Um, But uh, (laughs) I think here on BuzzBeat Radio, Richie, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but we try to be honest, and we want to give Dwight the credit here, but we also want to be honest about the larger picture of the team, and I think that's what we're talking about right now. Like, this this Dwight Howard stuff and these two games we talk about, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. Kimba's the driver to the team. If he's not freed up to do his job as efficiently as he can do it, then... Then what are we talking about, right? All right, let's get to the Cleveland game here. Uh, God, what a gut-wrencher. Good Lord. Hornets lose this one 100-99. No excuse. No excuse to lose it. I was with the family all day long, coming back from Blown Rock, North Carolina. Got to the couch midway through the third quarter. Looked like we were going to pull this thing out. um, And then it got ugly in the fourth quarter. The offense just hit that rut that they always hit. In the fourth quarter, you can count on it, death taxes in the Hornets' offense and the Panthers' offense, for that matter, <laughs> uh, hitting the rut when it really matters uh, in scoring position. So the Hornets dropped this one. LeBron does LeBron things, 27 points, 16 rebounds, uh, 13 assists. Kimba was uh, terrible. I mean, there's really no, no other way to say it. I mean, he really, really struggled in the second half, got some fantastic looks, quite frankly, and it just couldn't knock him down. I mean, I don't want to knock Kimba too much. You know, I know we ask him for a lot, but Kimba had a chance to put this one away for the Hornets. He wasn't able to do it. Uh, Jeremy Lamb struggled. Uh, the bench really was not good at all. The bench only musters up, what, 17 points in this game, I think. Um, Carter Williams it, it, was, good. it was tough sledding. Carter Williams is good. Again, Carter Williams is good once again. I mean, he's really adding a serious dynamic, especially defensively. I mean, he's quietly good offensively, but defensively, he's adding something for this team off the bench. And Dwight Howard was good again. I mean, he really was. He got another good matchup where, you know, Kevin Love's down there, another small center that he can take advantage of. And he did a pretty good job. He's 7 to 14, but... You know, it, it was a little things with Howard in this game. It was the antics, it was the, the technical, uh, you know, the offensive fouls. It's just the stuff at the wrong time. You look at his line, you see 20 points, 13 rebounds. Like, you, you, you see things that, like, make you think, man, this guy's a great player. But then when you actually watch the game, and it's the inopportune you know, things that he does that really affect the team. Again, uh, being a winning player is it, it can be a difficult thing, and it's obviously that for Dwight Howard. I mean, he hurt the, this team in a lot of situations in this game. But uh, the Hornets should have had this game. They let Cleveland – they just hand it to Cleveland. The Hornets did not score a field goal in the last three minutes and 30 seconds of the game. And I think – I want to throw it to you guys and get your thoughts, but I think the larger point is here – and we have a Twitter question that I just want to go ahead and tackle now. Steve Clifford's got to be better at the end of games. I mean, that's just the bottom line. He's got to be better and more creative. They, we don't have a lot of offensive talent, but we have enough to where he can be better as a coach and draw up other stuff other than Kimbo, the high pick and roll. I mean, it's yep. just got to be better.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was one of those games too. Low low turnover game. So really, it was just outside of Marvin, no one could hit a freaking shot. Um, Kaminsky was oh three. 3 uh, from the field, 0 of two, uh, from beyond the arc, Kemba and Lamb combined to go ten of thirty-six from the field, three of seventeen on three-pointers. Uh, those guys combined for twenty-six points on thirty-six field goal attempts. Uh, that's not going to get the job done. Charlotte goes sixteen of twenty-seven from the free-throw line, fifty-nine percent. I mean, guys, all this happened in a the game they lost by one point to freaking LeBron James, and you just can't have you can't you just can't shoot that poorly. And this was – Cleveland's – I mean, Cleveland – I'm not sure if they're in the basement in terms of defensive efficiency. If if they aren't number 30, they're probably 28 or 29. But this was the third most efficient defensive performance for Cleveland this season. And uh, in the second half, it was especially bad. The Hornets scored about 81 points per 100 possessions in the second half. And it's just – it's like you just – if you just – you can't go 24 minutes of basketball and – are just completely unable to score, uh, including a 17-point fourth quarter, which was really uh, a doozy. And yeah, if you do that against LeBron, who was, I mean, the guy is, uh, he's just a machine. You can't praise him enough how good he, how freaking good he is. And uh, he did everything Cleveland had to do, and including, I think he even guarded Kemba on, on one of the last possessions too. And just, again, I mean, Lou and those guys in Cleveland, they ask him to do everything, and he seems like he delivers it Every single time, unless it's beat the Warriors, Uh, he can handle basically everything else. So, yeah, look, Lamb and Kemba, the offense that Charlotte runs, I mean, the sort of like core tenets of it right now are Kemba pick and rolls, Dwight post-ups, and Jeremy Lamb pick and rolls. And when those guys aren't hidden, it's going to get ugly quickly.
1: Yeah, there, there was cold shooting in that second half like like crazy. I mean, we shot 46% in the first half, compare that to 30 in the second half. And then from three yeah. point, uh, we shot 53 in the first half, compare that to 21 in the second half. And like you said, Brian, we could not take advantage of the fact that we were in the bonus early. Uh, we got to the free throw line like 10, 15 more times than, than Cleveland, but we only made like three or four more than them. We shot 59% from the free throw line, and a couple of those were from Kimba. And uh, the, you know we, we need to take advantage of the fact that we're getting to the bonus early because we do stay aggressive and, and, and even if the hackahoward's Howard's in play, you know Dwight actually shot five of six from the free throw line in the yeah. fourth quarter. So <laughs> you know and he wasn't really scoring from the post, but uh, he was getting to the line and staying aggressive and actually uh, actually made his free throws. It was interesting in the fourth quarter, Kemba started started on the court to begin the fourth quarter, which is not not um, yeah. very common. and he he played with Carter Williams to begin that. And he actually missed two free throws real early on. And, you know, you might think it's insignificant free throws to begin the fourth quarter. But obviously we only lost by one point. So um, you can point to any any free throw and that would have uh, been the difference there. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the end of the fourth quarter and how you guys were talking about, you know, Clifford needs to be more creative. But uh, it did seem like we were feeding Howard a lot which led to some fouls, but also uh, it didn't really get anyone else involved. Compare that to the Washington game where you know Kimba was getting involved in t- attacking the rim, and, and every, everyone seemed more involved in that Washington game, but where in this game it just seems like it was Howard involved.
2: Well, I wanted to, real quick, before we get into that, and I do want to talk about that extensively, I, I wanted to give Clifford, because he's going to go down on the sword here in a second, so I want to just give him a little <laughs> credit before that happens. Um, you know, the Cavs play small. You know, they go Crowder at four. They go Love at five a lot. And he put – he had Dwight Howard on Crowder mm-hmm. um, a lot during this game, especially like, in the yeah. second half. And he had Marvin on Kevin Love, which is something that t- traditionally Steve Clifford would not do, right? We talk about the stubbornness. I thought that was good, and I thought it yielded some good results for Charlotte defensively in that second half. All right, now that's behind us. Let's talk about these, these <laughs> last uh, three minutes and 30 seconds. Offensively, it's just, it's not a mess. It's not what this is. This is asking Kimba Walker to do everything. And We've talked about it before. I mean, look, here here are the last five Hornets possessions. I made, I, I, this morning, I made note of all of them. Kimba gets a great look on a flare screen type of play. He comes down, I might not say this exactly right, but I'll get close. He pitches it over to Lamb. I believe it's Lamb, Dwight or Cody's right there at the the elbow area. Kimba kind of runs his guy down towards, uh, kind of you know, they love.
3: Yeah, that. they
2: love that play. You know, he, mm-hmm. he sprints his guy down the lane line on the right side, and then just kind of you know back pedals mm-hmm. while uh, his man gets kind of flare screened by Dwight. I can't remember who set the screen, but anyways, works perfectly. Kimba gets a wide open look. It's not even a contested three. No good. Okay. Next time down, Lamb gets to his left hand. You know, takes one of those little like fader, you know, awkward looking shots. But that's kind of his like business. He you know, he's good at those shots. Um, he's got long arms. It really doesn't affect him when he's off balance. Misses. Next time down, MKG. Uh, we feed it to Dwight. Dwight makes a great pass to MKG with a great cut in the middle. He makes one of two free throws. Which is a larger picture here. The Hornets beat themselves with free throws. I mean, if we really want to tell the truth. Uh, Clifford wasn't good with his play calling, but the Hornets killed themselves with missed free throws. Uh, Here we go. Next possession. Give it to to Dwight on the left block. Dwight backs. I mean, he literally backed Kevin Love all the way almost to the stanchion and misses a layup. Now, foul or not, whatever. Dwight's got to make that. I mean, he's right under the basket. Um, And then uh, Kimba on the high. They put LeBron on Kimba. There towards the end, which, in my opinion, just shakes Kimba up. I don't think he's ready for that kind of stuff. I think he just gets nervous when LeBron is on him and doesn't trust himself enough. He shoots a three, and it it, it catches nothing but the backboard on the left side of the rim. So those were your five possessions, the last three minutes and 30 seconds for the Hornets, and they were all equally ugly. Yeah, the um, I kind of couldn't believe. I mean, could you guys believe how much the
3: last— you know, after Howard checked back in in the fourth quarter, just how much of the fourth quarter offense was Dwight post-ups? I mean, it was like, i it was just like, I can't, like, Dwight has never been this player. I can't believe that at this point in his career we're treating it as like, yo, let's play four out around one with Dwight and just throw it to the big guy and let him go to work. And like you said, he got he got some good looks and he found MKG for a nice pass. But like, it, it wasn't, I guess, unsuccessful. I just, it's like, I could not, be- I could not believe what I was watching. It's not like you got you, you got Porzingis or Embiid that you're throwing it to and letting them go to work. It's it's freaking Dwight Howard, you know.
2: Um, well, it, I, I th- so. I think it's clear that the Hornets at this point, especially against teams that play smaller lineups like Minnesota or at least smaller centers, right? Like yeah. the Hornets think they can they can gain something by going at those players with Dwight Howard. Like they clearly think that's a strategy that, that is merit of experimenting with. And, you know, we constantly talk about how it's insanity. And so, I I mean, maybe we're the crazy ones, right? Like maybe Dwight finds this and and starts going nuts against smaller centers, but like how much data do you need? Yeah. And I'm not just talking to Steve Clifford right now. Like I'm talking to the entire front office, the Hornet like how much data do you need that says, don't do this? Like, this is stupid. Like this does not work, especially over the course of an 82 game season, but the horns just keep doing it. They're just beating their heads against the wall right now with this Dwight thing. And God almighty, I I don't know. I I really don't know what else to say about it, but like you said earlier, BG, they're not going to go away from it.
3: It's not going to happen. And in the crunch time of that game, uh Kemba has a usage rate of 29% Jeremy Lamb 28% Dwight Howard 28% too i mean everything was going through those three guys essentially uh, MKG obviously had that one possession you're referring to as well but it's just you're asking a lot from a guy that's really not a back to the basket player he's not Al Jefferson you know he's he's not a guy that can size up a defender he doesn't have post moves you know i mean maybe that little quick quick lefty hook or whatever but Again, it's not like he's going to have office hours on the block and, and take a guy to school or find a cutter or whatever uh, on a consistent basis. He's up to twenty-five percent usage rate. I, it, it's it's just it's it's a lot. It's just, it, and I think it's too much. And I know I'm beating, I'm beating a am beating the dead horse here. And he really did play great uh, against Minnesota and Washington. But uh, boy, oh boy, I mean, again, you have a LeBron James team on the ropes in the fourth quarter down the stretch, and you can't like. You gotta beat this guy and he wins literally ninety-nine percent of the time against your franchise. And you got all these super smart dudes on the coaching staff. I mean, I think Clive and Cliff and Silas and the rest of these guys, they're all geniuses. And the best play they can come up with is throw the ball to Dwight and like, I don't know, hoping he can get fouled or get a dunk. Like I it's just it's just
2: it just seems like a, I, a waste of time and money, man. I, I agree BG and then I want Richie to jump in here because I want his thoughts on this. But look, I look, you want to tell me all this stuff about I mean, look, I, I wanna be fair and I don't wanna I don't wanna be that guy sitting back and talking about the coaches because I don't know those guys and I bet they're all really smart and they're all they've all been successful in their basketball lives and like I'm not talking a bunch of junk here, but like I agree one hundred percent with what Brian just said. All these smart guys on the bench and the best you can come up with is what we saw there in the late late in that fourth quarter. All this talk about Steven Tallis being one of the best assistants in the league. Well, when are we gonna see it? Like yeah. when are we gonna draw up some creative stuff when it matters? because statistics tell us when it matters, the hornets are one of the worst teams in the league, especially offensively. So until we see something different, why are we supposed to sit back and say, yeah, yeah, yeah? We, we, we trust these guys. They're the, you know, they're the best we the, the league has to offer in terms of coaching. That's not fair to fans. That's not fair to what the game tells us and what the data tells us, because that's not what that's not what's happening. So we're going to talk about that, and I think the coaching staff deserves a lot of uh, scrutinizing right now, and that's what we're talking about. Richie, jump in here
1: wow i I feel a little outnumbered and not as passionate about this but uh I, <laughs> I I feel like I may be more on Dwight's side than maybe you two are I felt like he was effective in this game I did I mean the the strategy to keep feeding him and feeding him and feeding him might not have been a good one, and I, I know that I know you're not criticizing Dwight, you're criticizing the the strategy and the, and the coaching. But I feel like not many people are shooting the ball too well in this game, and I think that we try to take advantage of the fact that we were in the bonus with like seven minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, so uh, they felt like with this matchup of of Love or, or crowd or anyone that was on Dwight that he could get good. Post position, so they were going to feed him and try to get to the line. Now we didn't make our free throws. That's that's part of the issue. So that's not on the coaching. That's on the players. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really as passionate about you know getting on to Dwight and and uh, the fact that he's getting all these post touches. And I, I'll tell you, I don't like when he when he's in the post and dribbling it two or three times because I know that's not going to be successful. But the fact that he was getting real deep and, and we were in the bonus, I guess I was a little bit more okay with that. And on the last possession, I actually thought Kimba should have made the pass to Dwight. The pick and roll, he was doubled, and Dwight was open. And I know that Kimba probably didn't want to give it to him, thinking that, uh, you know, I I probably have a better chance of of getting out of this double team and scoring than giving it to Dwight. Uh, But I I feel like sometimes I maybe am the defender of Dwight on here. But I'm not the biggest Dwight fan by any means, but uh, I I, I, uh, I guess I'm just not as passionate about this.
2: Yeah, no, no Richie, I mean, you're right. It, it is more strategy, less wide, especially when he's playing as efficiently as he did, you know, here in these games with the opportunities, opportunities that he had. I think, you know, but again, we want to talk about what's the what gives the Hornets the best right. chance to win. And, and, and you know, I think I think what we're talking about right now is that, you know, the coaching staff is, is choosing options that are probably the odds say that didn't give you the best chance to win. So anyways. I did want to bring up one thing. You know, we talk about the coaching staff and the strategy really saying Dwight taking advantage of smaller players. I mean, that is clearly um, on the front edge of the Hornets thinking right now. What, what also is on the front edge of Hornets thinking right now is just taking a totally different approach than the rest of the league. I mean, we, we have seen lineups here in these past few games that feature Kimball Walker, Michael Carter, Williams, Michael kid, Gilchrist, Cody Zeller, and Dwight Howard, you find me a worse lineup when it comes to floor spacing in the National Basketball Association, and I, I'll buy you a coke. That yeah. that's the worst one. Yeah. I, I mean, so th- they're clearly trying to, I mean, they're clearly trying to find ways to you know you know buck the system, if you will, and, and crash the offensive glass and just. Just overpower you, bully you. I don't really know exactly how to say it, but that to me, that lineup in this league is <laughs> is inexcusable. Um, but that's just my opinion, you know. I, I just we, we weren't I sure
3: much this year we would see like you know Carter Williams and MKG play together. We weren't sure how much we would see you know outside of the first the first part of the first and third quarters how much we would see MKG and Dwight play together. And to have all three of them out there at the same time with another center, it was just—it was hilarious. And then didn't didn't Carter Williams hit a three or something like that on the front? I mean, it was oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't the,
2: it the entire defense is like sucked in, like in in the paint almost. Of <laughs> course, you're gonna get whatever shot you want. I uh, uh it's unbelievable. I got
3: on Twitter because I was getting ready to make some snooty, sarcastic joke about it, and then MCW uh, splashed a three, and it was like, okay, I'll uh, I'll just I'll just shut up. I don't know what I'm talking about apparently here. So um, I think it should also get. I don't mean to divert the conversation here, but I think it should get mentioned. And Richie, again, you you wrote a piece on this before the year started. Marvin Williams, man, he just continues to have a great season. I know he wasn't maybe great against San Antonio, but he was probably the team's best player. Uh, MKG was pretty good against Cleveland, but Marvin was huge against Cleveland. Big minutes against Washington down the stretch. Uh, Charlotte scores one and a half points per possession with him on the floor uh, against the Wizards. He hits five three-pointers um, against, against the Cavs. I don't know where Charlotte would have been in this game without him. And quietly, Marvin Williams, 44% on threes right now, sizzling from the corners, and he's top 20 in the league right now in three-point percentage uh, among qualified players. He's having an outstanding season, and um, – you know, I feel like it's get, it's getting kind of lost in the shadows amid sort of like the, the Dwight hysteria and the team not underperforming a little bit and stuff like that. But, man, Marvin Williams is having a, a freaking great season, and um, yeah, he he needs he needs to get a lot of credit for it because I think he's being asked to guard guys like Carl Anthony Towns and Porzingis, which is insane to think about having to guard those monsters – I mean, like Marvin's too old. for Yeah, he, he, I feel like he's got you know the lethal weapon. Too old for this kind of feeling after it. But I mean, Richie, did you th- did you see him be? I mean, he'll probably come back to Earth a little bit. But yeah, it's something you saw. You know, did you think he could be this good again uh, coming into the season? Because he's just been sensational so far this year.
1: No, I didn't think he'd be this good, and I, I'm expecting a little bit of a drop off. But I, I definitely didn't think that last season was where he was going to end up this season. And I was hoping that he would get back to his. 15 16 self uh, or maybe a little bit closer to that his his play over the last 7 10 games has been great and i think you know the reason why he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit is because i don't think he like I feel like a lot of his minutes come in the first two, three quarters of the game, and you don't see him to end the game, so you almost forget about him. And it's almost like they're favoring Kaminsky over Marvin. But for Marvin's sake, I mean, he's he's a very versatile player on both ends of the court. I feel like we need to see more minutes out of him late in games uh, because he can switch – uh, on the defensive end and then he offers a lot on the offensive end as well you know especially when he's hitting his three so I think that's probably why he's not getting a lot of recognition other than the fact that we're not you know above 500 uh, you know there's not a lot of attention on the hornets but uh yeah I, I think the fact that he's not playing a whole lot towards the end of games is probably the reason why he's not getting too much attention but yeah we, we do have to give him credit mm-hmm.
3: you're yeah, just gonna add in here only 10 minutes in the first quarter uh, 10 minutes in the fourth quarter this season for Cody, Marvin, and Kemba on the court at the same time, just 10 minutes in the fourth quarter of this season with those guys. Uh, they also have a plus 15 net rating in that span of time.
2: Marvin's physical limitations are you know, very obvious, just from the eye. But again, to y'all's point, what he's asked to do defensively you know, against some of the league's better offensive players, Kevin Love, uh, Carl Anthony Towns, for a few examples in his last few games, and then what he's able to take to the other end and make open shots and, you know, play with equal effort, you know, and make, make those cuts, keep the offense moving. I mean, he has exceeded expectations this season. And for the people that I see that say, say what is it going to take to trade Marvin? I just, I don't like, are we watching the same game? I, I, this guy has been excellent this year and he's, he's returned to that form from the season before last that we all said was so important for the Hornets success this year. And, uh, you know, if he keeps that up and some other guys really find their way, you know, I think this team has a good chance to, to get to that 42 to 45 win, you know, spectrum when it's all said and done, but Uh, But, yeah, Marvin Williams, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, he's been so good, and he deserves almost zero of the blame uh, for the slow start for this team this season. Um, Let's jump to the San Antonio game. And then, Richie, I know we have actually quite a few. I've got some questions, actually, from some people that I don't know if I funneled to you earlier. but So we've got quite a few Twitter questions we need to get to. But uh, San Antonio game last night. Again, we're recording this on a Sunday. The game was last night. It was ugly. The offense was Without question, as bad as it's been all year, uh, the Hornets scored 29 points in the first half. End up with 86 for the game. They lose 106, 86 to San Antonio. There's really nothing positive to talk about in this game from the Hornets uh, from a Hornets perspective. You know, I I, I thought it was the epitome of. You know, back to back and what in the doldrums of an NBA season and, and what an 82 game slug kind of does to you. I mean, this team just turning the ball over, not moving on offense, uh, easy defensive assignments being missed, not getting to loose balls. I mean, you name it, the Hornets pretty much made sure they got it done in this game. And, and not only that, they lose by 20. To a San Antonio team that was not good offensively, really at all. They shot six of twenty-five from behind the arc. That's that's twenty-four percent. So you talk about losing a game by twenty points to your opposition, which which is also bad offensively. So really, uh, unless you guys have some to add, I think we should jump to questions here. Terrible, terrible. Uh, outing by Charlotte
1: I just think it's ironic on the same night that Alabama and college basketball had three players playing on the court they probably would have outscored the Hornets here with with our five-man rotation uh yeah it was pretty bad yeah you know, scoring 29 <laughs> points at halftime and really in the second half I feel like Frank and Kimba were the only ones that were hitting anything but it, it was just it, w- it wasn't enough it was too boring of a game to watch uh, between that and the the trip to fan from the turkey I, w- I was falling asleep this weekend
3: uh, I'm right. I'm I'm right there with you guys. Yeah, they scored 86 points in this game. That's the lowest of the season. Um, lower than the 87 they had against Boston. And they scored 90 points per 100 possessions in this game. That was the second worst offensive performance efficiency wise this season, uh, compared to the Boston game where they had 85.7 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, it was. It, they just. I mean, that's a tough schedule draw to play LeBron James on the Friday after Thanksgiving. And they have to fly back and play said the freaking Spurs on the second night of a back-to-back, where they had the night off the night before. I mean, uh, you, your chances of you coming away with a victory last night, and and, and again, I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't want to go go down the Dwight rabbit hole again. But he looked like he he looked like he was really on the second night of a back-to-back. Didn't look as sort of fluid and, and athletic as he as he does has for the majority of the season. I thought it with him with him it was especially uh, notable. So, yeah, I'm ready to move on because that game was, was no fun to watch. I don't think Dwight played at all in the fourth quarter. I don't think so. Yeah. And I, they, they had
1: this lineup that ended the third quarter that they actually transitioned over into the fourth quarter as well that played like six or seven minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah. They made like seven straight field goals to end the third quarter with Kimba, Monk, Lamb, Frank, and Cody. So Monk Monk actually got some play time because we were desperate for some scoring. And that same lineup continued over to the fourth, but uh, they, could, they couldn't stop the Spurs, even though that was the best – quote-unquote offensive lineup of the night, they were think, unable to kind of gain any ground because they couldn't stop anyone. But it, that was Kimba, Monk, Lamb, Frank, and Cody. And to me, Kemba and Frank were really the only ones hitting stuff.
3: I want to see more of that lineup, by the way. Um, I just want to see more of Malik Monk. And I think we should mention, there was a very brief uh, We Want Malik, or We Want Monk chant going through Spectrum Center Wednesday night with the the Wizards in town, which was kind of amazing to hear, actually. And, um, yeah, no, I just I just think it's time for him to get a little more playing time next to Kemba um, with a team that's so that's struggling so much on offense. Uh, Malik Monk, 38 percent on his catch and shoot threes this season. Uh, he's five of nine on three pointers after a pass from Kemba this year, 55 percent. And um, when the Hornets play with those both those guys on the court, 109 points per 100 possessions, in top 10 offense. And Malik has a true shooting rate next to Kemba when he plays with him of 57 percent, which is great, too. So, you know, we kind of talked about this on episode 44 a little bit. But I think going forward, we got to find more ways to get Malik on the court and next to Kemba. There's not a lot of depth, and minutes are kind of tight also, too, right. amongst us and guards. But they got they got to find a way to get him out there, I think, a little bit more.
2: Yeah, well, that was one of the questions we got. I was about to jump okay. into them. Um, why, why are we not getting more Monk? I mean, I think Brian just really kind of answered it there. I, I would just add that, you know, I, <laughs> that I agree. Um, yeah. I think we need to get him out there more. I don't – I mean, I do know the reason why. I mean, I, I think Bacon has shown, especially these past few games, I mean, Bacon, he, he is a productive player in terms of, like, keeping it connected defensively, mm-hmm. being in the right position on the floor. He's not a great one-on-one defender, doesn't move his feet – Exceptionally well yet, but he's in the right position and offensively, uh, kind of like the Travion gram role. I mean he he keeps the ball moving. He doesn't screw it up, which I think is a little bit of a peeve for, for Clifford with Monk is that he he kind of just goes off into his own world, you know, and, and and just hunts his own shot to a to a point where it's it's a, it's excessive. To to Steve Clifford, right? Like, would it be excessive to other coaches? Maybe not, but Steve Clifford is is under a microscope that says win now, and I don't think that he thinks he can do that with Malik Monk out there um, in, in big time minutes. And, and I think that makes sense. But I agree with Brian that if this if this team wants to find more consistency on the offensive end, which I think is imperative to their long term success, then he you got to find a way to get him like ten to twelve minutes a night. You, j- you just do. Uh, He gives you a better chance to win when he's taking four shots, five shots, opposed to Dwayne Bacon uh, catching it and passing it and running the shot clock all the way down or taking a three, which Dwayne Bacon, I I couldn't tell you the last time he made a three-pointer. it's been a long time. So, um, yeah, I I agree with Brian. Richie, anything to add on the whole Monk thing? I just think it's an
1: odd situation because he got more play time uh, earlier in the season because they used him as a backup point guard, but he – definitely thrives when he plays off ball. So now that, you know, Carter Williams is back, that's actually who he would probably pair better with in the second unit. But the issue is Carter Williams has taken over his minutes. So that's, that's the dilemma. Carter Williams has taken Monk's minutes away or, or bacon, whatever you want to look at. But um, I feel like Monk would be better off or better suited playing that two guard spot. But you know, they actually used him more as the backup point guard.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think you're right. Like, Carter Williams coming back has eaten into Monk's minutes and, and you know, nominally taking them away. But like if you have Carter Williams out there who can guard twos anyways, right. and yeah. you know, so why not try bacon out there or excuse me, try Monk out there instead of bacon gain something offensively and have Monk guard, either the weakest guy or just the backup point guard. Like, I, I don't understand what you're really losing there. Um, but, yeah, I, for whatever reason, Steve Clifford thinks he's really getting beat up with Monk on the floor right now uh, over a guy like Dwayne Bacon. All right, so next question here. This is a good one, and we'll try to go through this one as quickly as possible, which will be difficult. How secure is Steve Clifford's job? And that's the question, but I actually want to add a little bit to it because that's too broad. How secure is Steve Clifford's job if the Hornets finish this season with what they're on pace for, which is about, I don't know, guys, help me out. Definitely under 40 wins. I, I would guess something like 34 wins or so, maybe even under that. Probably,
3: yeah, they're, what, 8-11 and 11 right now? And so we're yeah. a fifth of the way through. So, yeah, I mean, basically right at 40 wins, essentially.
2: Right, okay, so let's let, let's say 38 wins, they missed the playoffs, okay? So we add a little bit to that question. What's happening with Steve Clifford, Brian?
3: I, boy, you you guys, y'all's guess is probably better than mine. He, obviously, he agreed to that ex- extension. I think it was, it's, we're coming up on probably two years ago, I would say. It was like, you know, November, December 2015, when he agreed to the multi-year extension. I don't know what the what the finances and stuff look of that. Um, but this team's pretty much, I think they're pretty, you said he's under the microscope of win now. I think both he and Rich show they're not on the hot seat. I think... If they were, you'd hear a little bit more chatter sort of nationally of, oh, hey, is Steve Clifford in any danger of losing his job or whatever? Um, personally, I, I hope Steve Clifford doesn't go anywhere. I, I, I like Clifford a lot. Um, I think he's a really a really sharp guy, and I think he works really freaking hard. Um, I, I think he's, he's, he hasn't been really given a great hand in Charlotte. And uh, while he's – I don't think he's played the right cards on every single hand – to to draw this analogy out a little bit further. Um, I do think he's done a pretty good job and, um, I I think it would be just the, it would be risky to get rid of Clifford. So I know that's not necessarily answering the question, but my thing is, I I don't know. I, it's, for me, it's tough to tell. I this team wants to make the playoffs. They don't want to miss it two years in a row, but, um, I think it would be risky if you if you tried pushing Steve Clifford out the door cuz I think he's a great coach.
1: Yeah, I would like to know his contract situation. Um, you know, if he if we miss the playoffs, obviously his seat becomes hotter. And uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's a very polarizing coach among Hornets fans. I think either people like just you know nitpick everything that he does, or they kind of overpraise him for the you know fact that he's a good defensive minded coach. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I kind of fall somewhere in between. I, I think that he is a good a good coach, and uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to think about the fact that we might miss the playoffs, and, and if we do, I think yeah. that that's going to be a consideration. Uh, but I, I wouldn't yeah. like to know his contract situation if it's one of those things where he just has. A couple more years, maybe they just let it play out. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think that, um, I think it's very synonymous, obviously, with uh, Rich Joe's situation, which is he got his deal extended into this season. And you know, pat, past that, uh, I don't know, man. Like, it, I, I would say that if the team finished 36, 37, 38 wins, you know, whatever that looks like. I, I don't think Rich Cho comes back and you're bringing a new GM into any situation. And that doesn't typically mean that that coach is going to stay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, every now and then, you know, you get a situation where, you know, it ends up working out when the guy gets there and, and he likes what he sees maybe more than they thought. But, you know, when you get to the top level of anything, you know, that guy coming in, that's going to you know drive the ship is going to want to bring his own people in. And so I don't think there's any way around it. If this team finishes less than 40 wins or, or quite frankly, misses the playoffs and Rich Joe doesn't stay, I'd say, yeah, I think Steve Clifford's probably a dead man walking. I mean, that's yeah. just w- w- the way this stuff works. So and what,
3: what I'm looking at here is a report from Windhorst. Literally, almost two years ago to the date, November, to, uh, to November 25, 2015, uh, Clifford is now signed through the 2018-2019 season. That was what the extension took him through. so if they did decide to cut bait with him after the year, it would just be one year's worth of money essentially so which would not be um, you know a huge a huge number, something like the you know the Knicks had to deal with with firing Derek Fisher or some of these other sort of quick hiring fires in the last few years.
2: All right, so let's uh, let's get on to some more Twitter questions here. This is from at Jeff. Hastley, Uh, he's at Jeff Hastley on Twitter. Long-term question. What's Charlotte going to do with Kimba's contract? Uh, when Kimba's contract is up, this is a great question. This is uh, a question that, uh, or a topic that Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue actually discussed on the, uh, the dunked on podcast the other day in their, in their 60 for 60 series that when they were going through Charlotte, um, I have, a lot of, I, have a, I have a few thoughts on this. It, they can extend Kimba, but they can only extend Kimba for what is 120% of, of what his current salary is. So that number ends up being right at like $64 million. That's not going to get it done for Kimba Walker. Um, I think he likes being a Hornet. I don't think he likes being a Hornet enough to take that kind of pay cut um, to what he could get on the open market. The only option for—well, there, there's two scenarios for the Hornets that I think could keep him in Charlotte. One is Kimba going bananas and making the All-NBA team, which would actually make him eligible for the designated player extension, which is you know the super, super, super max, the biggest max you can get in the NBA. That is not likely. There's, there, I mean, we don't need to go deep into the rabbit hole there, but there are too many good guards in the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference— for Kimba to reach that level of play. So I would probably say that's there's a 99% chance that does not happen. The other one is that the Hornets just don't extend Kimba, and they let his contract run up, and they, they have his bird rights still. like They can still offer him five years when his contract runs up after next season, whereas to everybody else, can offer him four. Um, my gut tells me Kimba will walk in that situation and try to, you know, really chase a ring in, in what would still be considered the prime of his career. But look, that's a great question. And Charlotte is in a very, very tough situation with Kimball Walker. I know people are going to throw up in their mouth when I say this, but if the Hornets get a month away from the trade deadline and they're two to five games out of the playoff hunt, they should, they should pick up the phone and call and see what they can get. I mean, this is this is the nature of the NBA. This is the league we're in. Just because a guy is stuck to your team and the fan base loves him and he's given you everything he can possibly give doesn't mean that you have to ride it all the way to, to the end with him. It, 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 I mean... If you want to be mediocre forever, then then please, you know, again, beat your head against the wall, and, and we can keep trying to get 40 wins every year. But you want to try to take a step forward. Um, we've come to that point with Kimball Walker's contract being one of the best in the NBA um, and what the future is with him on this team or what we can gain from his great contract. I think it's time to consider trading him, and you got to do it this season if you're going to do it if you're Charlotte because – Every day moving forward after the trade deadline this year, his contract decreases in value.
3: Yeah, no one's going to want to trade for a guy that's going to become an unrestricted free agent. You know, a right. few months after, so it's so any leverage Charlotte has or any advantage they can gain in a trade basically starts. Yeah, but you know, between now and middle of February this year, um, that's just the reality of the situation. He'll also be 29 when he is hitting unrestricted free agency you know, assuming the extension doesn't get brought in before then, he will be 29 years old when he's hitting under six free agency in 2019.
1: I mean, it sounds like to you, Spencer, that you're pretty much uh, under the assumption that he's not going to be back, or at least he's going to test, you know, the open market a little bit. And, you know, it's tough to, you know, offer him five years at that age, especially with his knee situation. But, you know, if, if you're going to trade him, like you said, it's, it's going to have to happen this year. It's just tough to imagine that as a Hornets fan because he's been our best player, you know, arguably in in the history of, of the Charlotte franchise. So uh, it's tough to see him leave. Uh, but if you want to get something out of it, you know, you're obviously going to have to trade him. If if, if it would like, to, I would like to get inside the mind of Kemba and know what his thoughts are on returning to Charlotte. But if if you if you're under the assumption that he's not coming back, then I guess that is a viable option.
3: I, I would add too. This is where I, increased minutes for Monk makes sense. By the way, too, like like if you think if you really think Kemba's uh, expendable, and if you think Malik is a part of the the wave going forward, you got to at least get him on the court and see. You know if he could be the next the next sort of like high flying shoe because the things you get in return for Kemba theoretically, I'm guessing it would be you know a pick, a couple young players, maybe another pick, you know, and like a, a veteran to match salaries with or whatever. You know. Um, so you you kind of need to see more what you have from Malik Monk, and again we're 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 going. <laughs> I, I don't think the team is we're going deep. This is pretty deep, but you gotta. These are conversations no, that
2: we're no, no, no. having too. You know, I, but I think it's a great question. I really do. I, I think that this is the best Twitter question we've gotten in a long time, and I think that the national. Um, me, some of the ones that I respect, <clears throat> Nate Duncan, Daniel, you know, I think they're having the conversation because there's a conversation that should be had. Now, Brian, to your point, I don't think the front office is considering it either. But this is one of those things that like. I mean, the Hornets have been stuck in mediocrity for, for a while now, and that's better than where they were with the Bobcats. But the, the Hornets are where they are now because somebody with the Bobcats decided that we got to tear this thing down and start back over, right? That's the only reason we are where we are now. So this is as big of an asset, Kimball Walker, and certainly his contract, as, as this franchise in this city or this franchise in front office has had ever probably to me. And here you are coming up on a year and a half left in it, and you know that year and a half mark, if you're even thinking about moving something, that's the magic number. You got to do it then. It's not worth anything anymore with the CBA rules when it's expiring, or at least it's not worth as much. So I think it's a totally fair question. And the Hornets are 8-11, and they're getting ready to go to Toronto on Wednesday, Miami, uh, a few days later, I mean it's totally reasonable that they could be eight and thirteen here, five games under five hundred a quarter away through the season and look there's no other time to wait like the the trade deadlines early February, if i'm not mistaken, you can't wait much longer like the best you can expect to be by the trade deadline is five hundred and what's the difference with the decision then than now
3: yeah I, I agree. I just think about the way they went into the like at the end of last season. All the writing, on the, the writing on the wall was, hey, you guys need to start tanking now. You need to start tanking now. And they literally rode it out until they were mathematically knocked out from the play. And they were still playing Kemba, still trying to win games. And, you know, that's ultimately why they ended up not getting a, a higher pick or likely not getting a higher pick or whatever. And so it's just like it, it's weird. It's tough. I mean, maybe it could happen. I just I, I think they are. I don't know if they're going to want to think about this so dynamically, and I just think it's still blinders on, full steam ahead. Let, let's try to get these forty wins and you know a playoff series. But it's this is a conversation that absolutely has to has to should be had. Too. Yeah, it, it
1: gets you thinking, and, and now that you've posed it in that in that way, Spencer, I feel like I'm thinking more about it. I, I was never open to the idea of trading Kimba. But, but you know, I think this front office is so focused on the now. You know, we've seen that, like Brian, you just said, they're going to compete to the very last second until they're mathematically eliminated and, you know, make these deals like for Miles Plumley in hopes of getting better. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they're just so focused on the now that they don't ever look to the future. And by the time they're actually looking to the future, it's too late.
2: Well, it, it should be interesting. I mean, just quickly to kind of close this out. I'm getting emotional. We're talking about trading Kimba guys and I can't even like talk now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah seriously i was all like passionate about how i was kind of smart for a second now i'm like what am i saying that's the nostalgia you know being a hornets fan all right so coming up for the hornets as we close this episode out uh toronto on wednesday night uh i believe is it friday night it's either friday or saturday they go to miami so again i mean you know you got to get one on the road. Or you're looking at 8 and 13. And then you come home for Orlando, Golden State. Golden State. You this can chalk this- up an L for that. Oh, my God. Um, Chicago and the Lakers. So you think you can get three of those last four that I mentioned. But I mean, you, you, all right. So again, at Toronto, at Miami, home for Orlando, uh, home for Golden State, home for Chicago, home for the Lakers, at Oklahoma City, at Houston home for Miami, home for Portland, home for New York. And the best case scenario in that stretch of games, which I should have count them is 500. So, I mean, you're going into the new year fellas, um, out of the playoff race. I mean, that's what we're looking at with Charlotte right now, unless they just find some kind of gold that we didn't know exists, but, uh, it's, it, you know, they've missed some opportunities here early in the season. That's just kind of where we are.
3: I should add two quick things. I like, that worries me a little bit. A because I don't want like Charlotte is so devoid of like good assets now that I don't want them to say, hey, let's flip one of these picks to go get you know a shooting guard that can like I, I don't I, I don't want them to nuke any sort of like short term gain uh, over like or nuke nuke any sort of like long term asset over some sort of perceived short term gain of making the playoffs this year. Uh, I think that I think those sort of short sighted moves just they always end up um putting egg on your face. And I'll also say this going back to Kemba real quickly. If they trade Kemba, by the way, again, all hypothetical, like clear the decks. You gotta trade Dwight Howard. Yeah. You gotta trade yes. you got you, you gotta unload Because there's yeah. no point like if you're gonna trade Kemba in tank, like there's no point winning thirty whatever game, you know, it's just you don't have to be to come to seventy sixers and start a bunch of nobodies out there. But nah, you got You got to clean the decks, and you got to do everything you can to try to increase the odds of, um, you know, of, of finding a way to, in. In this hypothetical of finding a way to get uh, higher up the lottery board,
2: and that's a great point because if you trade Kemba, I mean, that effectively depreciates the value of guys that you need to get off your hands, Brian. To your point, like Dwight Howard, Marvin Williams, like all these guys you need to get out of town. Like you trade Kemba now, the desperation is reeking. From the front office of Charlotte, now you're actually going to have to attach things to those deals to get off the other ones, which kind of moots the whole point of trading Kimba. So that's that, that's a that's a great point. Anyways, it's not going to happen. We're not going to trade Kimba. We're going to ride this. Thing. So we had, we had
1: this conversation for nothing, really.
2: No. Well, no, not not really. I think it's a worthwhile conversation because it gets people thinking about you know what. Uh, I think we want to get people thinking about what they want their franchise to be. What, what, what do the fans want the Hornets to be? What do they want this team to be? Not just this season, long term. Like, what do we want to be? That's what we need to answer, and that's what the front office needs to answer. and That's what Michael Jordan needs to answer. We don't need to just become a 40-win team and get comfortable there. There are plenty of small markets that have been better and successful. With, with different approaches and it doesn't mean that's the right approach and then ours is the wrong approach but it means it's worthy of a thought and it's worthy of conversation and it feels like this franchise will not have that conversation is not is not willing to consider those things there just has not been enough created creativity when it comes to those kind of concepts to me that that there should be but so I will I, say, I will say, some
1: Charlotte fans they they want to be a you know a perennial top four team, but they're also the same ones that complain when you want to you know start over and you know you break it down. So the same fans that want that top four spot need to realize that you're probably going to have to rebuild to kind of get there, and uh, especially if you want to be a consistent top four team.
3: It's really hard to be and- a team that's a top four team. There are all these low probability scenarios. But almost all of them start with if you're going to pursue that, like burning things to the ground and then trying to build through the draft and through that sort of stuff. Like that's just generally how most teams do it.
2: It's exactly right. It's not. There's nothing proven to that mm-hmm. strategy that says you're going to come out uh, on the right side of things. I mean, if you've been a fan of Charlotte basketball since 2000 and. I don't know, 2010, you, you'll understand because you remember when they traded Gerald Wallace away and Steven Jackson away and had all the cards stacked just perfectly, and then one ping-pong ball came out the wrong way, and you ended up with Michael King gilchrist instead of Anthony Davis. That's the kind of margin we're talking about. It doesn't make that strategy wrong, and yeah. it doesn't make, you know, kicking the rock down the road as a 40-win team every single year Right. And vice versa, but it is worthy of conversation. And and I think that's, you know, the Hornets are coming up. They're, Rich Cho's contract is ending. Steve Cliver's job is, eh, you know, his contract's two years away. Cable Walker's contract's two years away. You know, Dwight Howard comes off the books, you know, next season as well. Like, it is time to have these conversations, I think. And I think it's, I, I think it's complete, completely worthy uh, to talk about. But, um, so, so I think that was it was a great question. I'm glad he asked it because I think it led to some of our best stuff we've had. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: uh, I, we, I think, we're to have more of that going forward too, probably, because yeah, these are these are interesting times for the Hornets and Kemba, and you know what the next five to ten years of the franchise look like.
2: All right, well, look, let's uh, let's get out of here. We've uh, we've stretched it out to uh, all the way to the finish line as long as we can go. So uh, thank you to all of our listeners. This was episode 45 of BuzzBeat Radio. Make sure that you check out uh, the Almighty Baller radio network, uh, almightyballer.com, a lot of great content. And also Sports Channel 8, our good friends there. Uh, Make sure you check out them. They're best in basketball. They're good in football season, Brian. I think they're best in basketball season, uh, which is coming up. So make sure you check out at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter and then Sports Channel 8 Dot com on the internet so check them out all right uh for myself richie and brian thank you Richie. i'm gonna let you take us home here
1: uh thank you guys for tuning in to episode 45 of, of buzzbeat radio please make sure you guys are subscribed to us on itunes android whatever podcasting app that you have uh and we'll see you guys next time go hornets